You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Don't you just love how the children were here this morning? <laughs> so, as, as they were standing here, I, I just had to think, and, and, and I was so thankful I mean, as we saw last week, I I had the privilege of marrying my son and my new daughter, and uh, it was one of the best days of my life. And I'm so thankful for everybody that invested in his life. He's grown up to be a mature man who's, who's now starting his own life, who's now walking with the Lord, found a wife that's also walking with the Lord, and the desire is to start their marriage together by inviting God's God's blessing on their lives and, and walking together and, and, and starting a Christian family. And I'm so thankful for everybody that, that, that in, invested in their lives. I'm thankful for those who, who, who were organizing the Dead Kid Camps, providing a place where he can build friendships with other kids in church, for, for, for coming alongside the dads to, to have faith conversations with their kids. So thankful for those who, who taught him in, in Sunday school. So thankful for those who came alongside him when, when he, he was a youth and uh, could have conversations with him that I wasn't able to have with him. And then I became a young adult and people invested in him. All of that led up to him becoming a mature man, making good decisions, following the Lord. And I'm just so thankful. It takes a community, it takes a village to raise a kid. So take this invitation to to serve our kids seriously. It's not just to plug holes. It's to invest in these kids' lives that one day, maybe your little kid or the one you invested in will walk down the aisle and start his own life together um, wanting to follow the Lord. So let's do that together, all right? Sign up. And maybe you feel you don't have much to give. Well, welcome to the club. Every time I'm standing up and I feel I have nothing to give, and then the Lord takes it and he multiplies it. Like, like the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes, we weren't going to feed that whole community there. But the Lord took it and he multiplied it and he did something with it. If you bring what you have, he will multiply it. So sign up, um, serve our children, or any other place you want to sign up for, of course. So that's my, my first sermon for today. So today we're starting actually a new sermon series. Um, Last few weeks we've been looking at all the different religions and how to relate to our neighbors with different religions. And um, Christianity is actually unique, very unique in its claim that God came down to earth as a man. And we're going to be looking at the book of John. And in the beginning of John we read, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. He made His dwelling upon us. The unique claim that Christianity makes is that God came down to earth as a man in order to save mankind. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at what He has to say about Himself. And in the book of John, we have all these I am statements, things that Jesus says about Himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. Seven of these statements, and we're going to look at those. 
Now, maybe you've got questions about Jesus, you know, looking at all these religions the last uh, few weeks. You've got Christ- uh, maybe questions about Christianity, questions about who Jesus is. And, and it's great. The coming weeks, you're going to learn a lot. But if you really want to ask these questions, of course, Sunday morning is a bit difficult. You just receive. You just listen. But there's a place where you can ask these questions. You've seen it before. The Alpha course is a great course for you to go to, to explore. And we, we encourage you to explore. Don't just accept all, all the, the, the things we're saying. Ask questions. Explore. Investigate. This Alpha course is very low-key. You start, you start with a meal. Then you have a little teaching. And then dialogue. Ask all these questions. So, it's only 10 weeks. Make sure you make use of that opportunity. Sign up. Now, now we're going to look at the first statement Jesus made. I am the bread of life. Um, we can find it in John 6. Jesus actually repeats it three times. So, it must be significant, right? If something is repeated three times, it's there to emphasize. Um, the section we have to look at is actually quite large. All of chapter 6, 71 verses. And, and there's different stories in there. It starts with the feeding of the 5,000. Then we see Jesus walking across water. And then there's this whole long discourse where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Now, right in the beginning of these 71 verses, John makes this... He mentions this statement. It's a throwaway line. You think, why is it there? He says... The Jewish Passover feast was near. It doesn't really come back to it, it looks like. But it's there, of course, with a reason. It's there to alert us that what is to follow, we have to read in the light of the Passover story. We have to read in the light of the Exodus story of the people of Israel. It takes us back to that Israel, uh, to that Exodus story. Remember that, you know, uh, Jacob and his and his sons went to went to Egypt. Um, to escape a famine, and Joseph was there, the second in command, one of his sons, and, and, and they started living there, and they never left. Now, now we're 400 years later, they've become a large people group within Egypt, and they're being suppressed, they're being held captive, they have to do slave labor, they have to work very hard, and they cry out to the Lord, and, and the Lord hears them, and he sends Moses, and Moses leads them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, the Lord parted the sea into the desert out toward the promised land. Um, and, the, and the feeding of the 5,000 remind us of the manna that was given in the desert. The Lord in the desert provided for them every day. He took care of them. And, and the story of the walking of the, on the water reminds us of the, of the crossing of the Red Sea. Now God used the wind to blow back the sea and, and they could cross over dry land. And Jesus himself is now helping his disciples. He walks out to the boat, and they're struggling against the wind, and he stills the storm, and they reach their destination, telling us that Jesus is doing the same things that only God can do. And now we come to the part where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 ends with Jesus withdrawing to a mountainside. Because he knew that the people wanted to make him king by force. People were now looking at Jesus and thinking, wow, this man is healing us. He's feeding us. This must be the one that Moses talked about. Moses predicted would come. The prophet, the one greater than Moses. The ones we read about in scriptures. And somehow they, they understood who he was, but not, not really. 
This crowd wanted to follow Jesus because of what he could give them. He healed them, he gave them bread, and they just want to follow him around and be taken care of. That's the kind of king they want. So Jesus withdraws because he knows that's not the kind of king I'm supposed to be. And he wasn't tempted to let them make him king. So then after Jesus was withdrawn to the mountainside, his disciples left by a boat to the other side of the lake to Capernaum. And Jesus then in the night walks out to them and they end up in Capernaum. Uh, um, and the next day the people are looking for him. Let's read. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Fairly, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who gives you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us that bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The people were looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they asked him, why did you go? In other words, we kept an eye out for you. We didn't see you leave. Why did you leave us? We want you to take care of us. And Jesus says, you completely missed it, didn't you? I did this miracle among you, feeding 5,000 people with just a few bread, and you missed what it was all about. You are only looking me up because you want more. You want me to feed you today as well, to give you bread. That's why you're following me. They missed that the bread and the fish were distributed to lead the eye and the mind and the heart to the true gift God has for his people. They were there to open up their understanding to the fact that the Passover, the new exodus, was taking place right in front of them, and, and Jesus was leading the way. Like the Israelites were held captive in the land of Egypt, enslaved in the same way they, we, are being held captive by sin. In John 8, Jesus says, whoever sins is held captive by sin, is enslaved by sin. Maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, everybody that sins is, held, is enslaved by sin, but I don't particularly think of myself as a sinner. Well, have a good look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you love perfectly? Do you love like Jesus loves? Do you have this self-sacrificing self love, this love that doesn't need to be earned by the other person? You're willing to sacrifice even to die for the other person, to die for your enemies even. I dare say no, none of us, none in the world has this type of love. 
we all fall short. You probably have hurt some people recently that you love. Not, not purposefully, perhaps, but, but because you weren't able to love perfectly, you hurt them in the process. So we're held captive by sin, like the, the people of Israel were held captive in the land of Egypt. And Jesus is here to lead the new exodus, to lead us to the promised land, to lead us out of captivity. But people are, are looking at Jesus to fulfill their needs. If, if I will follow you if you give me bread to eat. I will follow you. I will believe in you if, if you make this or that happen in my life. I will follow you. I will believe in you if you take this or that away, this difficulty away out of my life. But what matters is not what Jesus can do for you. What matters is who Jesus is. Only if you're prepared to be confronted by that reality in a new way can you begin to understand what he can really do for you. The question who Jesus is now comes to the front in the, in the whole discourse that is to follow. And the first thing then, as we read it, what we can learn is that Jesus is the one upon whom the Father has placed this seal of approval. Like a king putting his seal on something. Declaring not only where he comes from, but that he's carrying the authority of the Father. In other words, what Jesus is doing bears the mark that says, this is the kind of thing that in Scripture only God does. The wilderness feeding, the walking on water, they speak of this. Both, both are related to the Exodus story, right? God fed the people with manna. God split the sea for the people to walk through. And Jesus is doing the same type of things. And can it be that the, that the I am statements are there also to take us back to that Exodus story, right to the beginning where Moses is called. And when he says, well, who do I say is sending me? And God says, this is my name, I am. Now, the second thing we can learn is the demand that God is making on them. A new way of living. We see this discussion about works, right? What must we do, they ask. And Jesus says, this is what you must do. Believe. That's all. Believe in the one whom God sent. As opposed to the Exodus story, or maybe similar to the Exodus story, where the law is given, the Ten Commandments, Jesus is now saying, I'm giving you a new commandment. You weren't able to follow these, these Ten Commandments, but let me help you. Just believe in me. It's not about rule following. It's not about living up to a certain standard to get the approval of God. It's about believing and trusting in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. A command that will require a change of heart. It will require the recognition that everything Jesus is doing, in everything he's doing, the same God is at work as, as the God that was at work in the Exodus. And then they ask for a sign again. Seems odd at this point in the, in the story. They refer back to the manna given in the desert. And I think they're trying to be clever. You fed us once, but the sign God did in the desert, he did every day. Do that for us. And then Jesus says, well, Moses gave manna. But God will give you the true bread from heaven that gives life 
to the world. And then, and then they say, yes, that's what we want. Give us that bread. Still thinking about literal bread. And then it comes, Jesus says, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will never be hungry. Come to me and you will never be thirsty. What a twist. What are they to make of that? They want bread. They want to be taken care of. And this man says, you want bread? Here it is. How's Jesus like bread? How's Jesus like the manna in the desert? Well, the manna in the desert you would pick up in the morning. You prepare it and would sustain you for a day, right? Give you life for a day. In verse 47 here, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The truth who believes in me has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Second time he says it there, and he's connecting it to this notion of eternal life. Not to give you life for a day, but life for eternity. And all we need to do is believe. And it will be ours. What a different with the difference with the other religions that we've looked at the last few weeks. Nothing you need to do to earn God's favor. Just believe in Jesus and he will raise you up at the last day, he says. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and earth will be joined together. The whole earth will be filled with the Lord's presence. And everything impure, everything sinful, everything unjust, everything evil will be wiped away, will, be, will, will burn up in the presence of the glory of God. Nothing evil or, or unjust can stand in the, in the presence of the glory of God. Must be. And, and then what, we are left, what will be left will be this, this world as God intended it to be. Heaven and earth joined together. It must be something so wonderful, something so extraordinary, so awe-inspiring, so beautiful. Something you want to be part of, something I want to be part of. But I don't stand the chance because I'm impure, I'm sinful. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Just believe in me. If you eat from me, you will live. You can be part of that new heaven and new earth. I will take your sins. I will take your impurities. And you can live and you can be part of the beautiful new world that, that God is making. And you can be in, in the presence of the Father. You can be with me forever if you just believe. And then Jesus takes the, 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 the whole discussion even a bit further and, and it becomes quite uncomfortable to be honest he says this bread is my flesh and, and you need to eat my flesh it's real food and unless you eat it you won't have life let's read it together jesus said to them very truly i tell you unless you eat the, the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, is Jesus asking us to become cannibals or something? That, I mean, that's, 
that's unlikely, right? I mean, there were strict Jewish laws about drinking blood. Whenever you slaughtered an animal, you had to drain the blood first completely. No eating and drinking of blood. Now, to understand what's going on here, to give us a little bit of a clue, there's a story in the Old Testament I like to take you to. It's in the book of Chronicles. It's about King David. It's in the time that he was fighting the, uh, the, the Philistines. It's actually about three of his mighty men, to be honest, three of his friends. They were renowned for their bravery. They were renowned that they would do whatever it takes for the king. Now, they were pinned down by the Philistines in a place called the Cave of Abdullam, and they were cut off from water sources. And at some point, they were getting thirsty. And David, in a dramatic fashion, calls out, Oh, that somebody would give me a drink of water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. Now, of course, they couldn't get there because the, the Philistines were in the way. Now, these three mighty men, they think to themselves, we're going to do this. And they walk out and they break through enemy lines and they go to the gate at Bethlehem. They draw water, they come back and they give it to David. And David says, I will refuse to drink this. God forbid that I would drink this, he said that, that I would drink the blood of these men. Drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their own lives. He didn't want to see to be, be profiting from them putting their lives on the line for him for just a bit of water. And he poured the water out on the ground. Like I said, there were strict rules about drinking blood. And uh, that's why David uses that line, of course. To drink that water would be the equivalent of drinking blood. And he, and he wouldn't and he shouldn't and he couldn't do it. So that gives us a clue as how to understand what Jesus means when he says, you need to drink my blood. Jesus is saying, if you want to profit from what I have done for you, what I'm doing for you, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you do this, you will live forever. David refused to drink the blood of his friends. Meaning he refused to profit from what they did for him. For them, them putting their lives at risk. But Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus Jesus knows what he's willing to do. He will put his life at, at a line. He actually will lose it for his friends. And his friends will profit from his death. They will drink his blood and they will have his first, their first quenched by his death. Are we willing to accept that Jesus did this for us? That God came down to earth in the form of a man to die for our sins. Are we willing to admit we are sinful, we are impure, we need what he has to offer? Not just willing to follow because we want him to provide, demanding who gives us bread, demanding he will fix our issues, but that we be follow because of who he is and what he's done for us. That by accepting what he did at the cross, by repenting of our ways, we can have eternal life. Yet, eating this bread is somehow more than just believing and accepting. More than just an inner, non-physical event. John seems to be wary that we take it that way. The words he uses, the way he tells the story, he seems to be wary that we just spiritualize it. Um, the word he uses for eating is a word that is also used for animals eating, like munching, chewing, making sounds as you do that, a very earthly type of, of eating, right? And 
And he deliberately uses that word to rule out spiritualizing of the whole thing. And he seems to be referring to the Eucharist, to the Lord's Supper. The sacrament in which Jesus' body and Jesus' blood are in some mysterious way offered to believers to be eat, eaten and drunk. When he feeds the 5,000, the actions he, he does and the, the words he uses remind us of the actions and words that he uses at, at the Lord at, at his last supper. Jesus took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. And then at the end of the 71 verse, he says, I am that bread. And in order for him to be truly unified, united with his believing followers, it's necessary for his followers to eat his flesh and drink his blood. John 17, at the end of their lives, he, he prays for the believers. He prays, Father, that they may be one, just as you are in me, I am in you, and, and they are in us, that they are in us. May they also be in us. Somehow this act of eating and drinking is an act of faith. That through Jesus, we are one with, with Jesus and the Father. That by eating and drinking, we're giving up our own lives, our need for control, our need for Jesus to be who we want him to be. And in this act of eating and drinking and remembering and accepting and thanking, we're submitting to what Jesus has done for us. He gave his blood and he gave his body on the cross so we can be saved. When we believe that, when we accept that, when we internalize that, in this physical act of eating and drinking, we become one with him in that act. We will have life. Jesus is the bread of life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.